Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me in your Bible to two openings. Go first of all to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And uh, I want to pick up, we're going to read here and then we're going to read over in Matthew chapter 16. I want to pick up really where I left off two weeks ago and the point that I was making there at the end of that session two weeks ago. In Romans chapter 10, verse number eight says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The word is near you. Now, it's interesting, I think, to most people uh, who have not really ever heard the truth of faith in God and how faith works and the importance of speaking, I think most people would read that verse and if they read it carefully, they would be struck by the fact that the Bible is telling them to do something with their mouth. He said, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Most Christians are are aware of the importance of their heart in loving God and serving God. Most Christians are not aware that they have something to do with their mouth when it comes to serving God and living for God and overcoming. Amen? So this scripture says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith with which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now I had been saved as a child and uh, growing up in church and I was, I had never really I don't remember anyone ever preaching or teaching from this passage of Scripture. I was never told that I had to confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus or Jesus is Lord until I was in my 20s and I got back in a fellowship with the Lord and started listening to Kenneth E. Hagin and was exposed to the word of faith. And then everybody was talking about, this is how you get saved. You believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and with your mouth you say, Jesus is, is Lord. Or you can add one more word and you can say, Jesus is my Lord. But it was like that was a formula, almost, uh, uh, you know, almost like abracadabra. In other words, do you believe? You believe? Okay, now say this. Say, say Jesus is, and if they didn't say exactly that way, no, you got to say it this way. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And it became like, a, like an incantation almost, that, that, uh, ma- like a magic wand. That's not the purpose of this, and it's not true. Because I was saved, I, I would venture to say now, unless you've been raised in word of faith, now there's a, there's a, there's an entire generation here, uh, two generations really that have been raised up in word of faith. So you've heard this all of your life. But if, uh, you know, uh, if you're older than say 50 years old and you were born again before, you like, you likely did not say Jesus is Lord. 
I, 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 when I prayed, the, here's the way we would lead the people in the, in the sinner's prayer back then. We'd say, you know, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Well, then receive him into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Something along that line. We did not have them say those specific words, Jesus is Lord. We would say, do you believe that he's the Son of God, that he's Christ? Yes. Well, did you know the, the expression, receive Jesus into your heart's not even in the New Testament? And yet it worked. How many of you, you sit here like you don't know what I'm talking about. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you received Jesus into your heart and prayed something along that line? Can I see your hand? Well, are you saved? Did it work? Yes. So we pointed out, we looked over at Matthew, turn over there with me, to uh, the 16th chapter of Matthew, and we noticed how, how Peter confessed Christ. And how the Lord commended him. You remember uh, in verse number 13, it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, What do men say that I, who do men rather, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say John. Now he asked all of his disciples, and they answered. So this wasn't one person person answering, this was the, the disciples. So Andrew might have said, uh, some say you're John the Baptist. Uh, you know, Nathaniel might have said, and some say you're Elijah. And, and, and uh, Bartholomew might have said, well, some others say that you're, that, that you're Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So all of these disciples were answering the Lord because it says, so they said unto him. So he said back, he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, very boldly, how many of you believe when Peter said, how many of you believe Peter just said, well, you're the Christ and, uh, you, you know, you're the son of God. Do you believe he said it like that? There isn't an exclamation point here. And you remember the, the, New, the New Testament was written in Greek and there wasn't any punctuation. I believe there ought to be like three punctuation exclamation points behind what Peter said. I'm sure Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was a bold confession. That's the same thing as saying Jesus is Lord. Because for, I pointed this out last week, the word uh, Lord in the Greek is kudios, kudios. And of course, the New Testament is written in Greek. And so kudios is translated Lord into the English. But the Greek was also used to, to translate the Old, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And when the Old Testament used the word for Jehovah, when it was translated into the Greek, it was called the Septuagint. It was translated 200 years before Christ. They used, the Greek translation used the word kudios for the Lord, for Jehovah. So for a Jew to say Jesus is Lord, that's saying Jesus is God. We also pointed this out that for a Roman citizen to say Jesus is Lord was to renounce the worship of the emperor because the emperor took that uh, title to himself as being the Lord of, over all. So for someone to say Jesus is Lord, you're basically saying Jesus is God. 
Well, when Peter said, you are the Christ. Now, the Jews had uh, a, a conflicting idea of what the word Christ meant. The, new, the Greek is the word Christo, and it's the equivalent of the Old Testament. I don't remember the Hebrew word for Messiah. So they understand that when they, when they you, you understand when they said the word Christ, they're talking about the Messiah of the Old Testament. The Jews had a, had a conflicting understanding of the Messiah. Because on the one hand, they believed that the Messiah would be God. Because there were too many attributes described to him in the Old Testament that could be anything other than divine. But on the other hand, they also read scriptures where the Messiah would come and he would die. He would give his life and he would die. And how can God die? It's interesting, Jesus pointed out this conflict when he asked them one time. Remember, he said, he asked them, uh, he said, uh, who do you say the Messiah is, the Christ? And, and they said, well, he's the son of David. Remember that discussion? And Jesus said, well, if he's the son of David, then how does David say the Lord, Kudios, Jehovah, how, how did David say Jehovah said to my Lord, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. Jesus said, if he's, his, if he's David's son, how is he also his Lord? And he didn't have an answer because there was a big, con- what Jesus was pointing out was the humanity and deity of Christ, which is a mystery they didn't know. So for, but they understood that the word Christ meant God. So when, so when Peter said, you are the Christ, he could have stopped right there. That was a bold declaration. He's saying you are Christ, you are Lord, and to, and to put all uncertainty aside, you are the son of the living God. So the point is, the confession of faith when it comes to salvation is to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and that means the equal of God. He is God, the Son. He came in the flesh. Remember over in 1 John, the Antichrist spirit says Jesus didn't come in the flesh. But you see, that's part of the revelation. That's part of our understanding of who God is. God came in the flesh, praise the Lord. So, so when a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why maybe when you were led to the Lord, we used to sing a song when I was a kid. Uh, into my heart, into my heart. Does anybody remember that song? Come into my heart. Lord Jesus. How many of you remember that? I started, the, I started this too high. <laughs> come in today, come in to stay. Isn't that right? Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. That was a song. Multitudes of people got saved singing that song. It's still a confession that Jesus is Christ. He is the Lord and you're inviting him to come. You're yielding him. You're accepting him. Do you know the expression, accept the Lord Jesus Christ? You need to accept him. That's not in the New Testament either. Either We have these ways of saying things, but it's the same thing. That's the point. So what Peter said, and here's, here's what I want to get in today, and I touched on it a little bit last week, but I want to uh, develop this a little bit. Peter said, Jesus said, but who do you say I am? 
And Peter very boldly, I, I can see him just, just waiting. You know, the others are saying, well, you're Jeremiah. And some say, and I, and I can just see Peter. Yeah, but I know better. I know better. I know better. I don't even want to talk about what others say. And Jesus gave him the opening. He said, but who do you say I am? And hardly before Jesus could get that word, last word out of his mouth, Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Ooh, glory to God. I don't know about you, but when I read that statement by Peter, it sends a thrill up and down my spirit, man. I mean, it's powerful. And Jesus said to him, now, Peter, you need to say that I am the Lord. No, he didn't say that. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say, I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock. Now you understand there's a, I mentioned this last week, there's a play on words. The word, he, Jesus is the one that gave Peter his name uh, of, of Peter. And, it, and it's the Greek word Petros and it means a stone. He said, you are a stone. You are Peter, a stone. And on this rock, now the word rock is the word Petra, and it means a boulder. I mean, a big, gigantic, maybe like, like stone mountain. I mean, a big old stone. He said, you are, you are Petros, a stone. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Now there's been a, a, a lot of discussion on what is the rock or who is the rock upon which the church is built? The Catholic church took that to mean that Jesus was telling Peter that Peter was the rock upon which the church was built because they, they believed that Peter became the, the leader of the church and that he was the, the number one apostle. And so the church was built on him and then uh, his successors, they eventually started calling them popes. And so the pope becomes, uh, in each generation, which get, as they get a new pope, he's the head of the church or, or the church is built on him. Well, Protestants had a problem with that. And they said, that's ridiculous. How in the world can the church be built on, a, on an ordinary man, particularly somebody as flaky as Peter? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, Peter didn't just miss it you know, before he was born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, he missed it afterward. Remember, remember when he, when he came to, uh, 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 to, into the area of, of, of the churches of Galatia and Peter had, uh, Paul had to, had to resist him to his face, had to rebuke him in front of everybody because he was yielding to the unbelief of the Judaizer. So Peter was far from a perfect person. He's a lot like a lot of us. And nobody would think Jesus would build the church on one of us. So, so Protestants have always pushed back on that. And they said, no, Jesus is who the church is built on. So Jesus is the rock. Well, there's nothing wrong with that ex explanation. And there's scriptural basis for that. In the New Testament, we were told that they drank the Old Testament under Moses. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Isn't that right? And we see that Jesus quoted uh, two scriptures in the Old Testament twice. In the Old Testament, it said the stone with the, which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus quoted that scripture about himself. 
So again, that presents Jesus as the foundation for the church. So we read over in Ephesians that, that the church has been built on the apostles, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So there, it's absolutely right to say Jesus is the foundation of the church. He is built on the church because he's the head of the church. So that's a good exclamation, explanation, but I don't believe that's what he's talking about here. Now, like I said, there are all kinds of different opinions on what the rock is. And I've, I've kind of been hesitant to, to give my opinion for all of these years. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 40th year of ministry. And I think I can start saying what I think. So, yes, Jesus is the head of the church. Yes, he is the foundation of the church in the sense that he is Christ. But remember, we are, we are members of Christ. We're part of Christ as well. So when it's interesting that Jesus, if Jesus had been talking about himself, it would have been so easy to say, you are Peter, but on me, I will build my church. If he wanted to use the play on words, he could have said, you are a stone, but I'm going to build my church on a gigantic rock, and that's me. You know, so easy to say that, but he didn't. He introduced this concept of a stone and a rock, and then he didn't explain it. Are you out there? He didn't say what the rock was. So look at the context. Let's back up. Now, the 16th chapter, really the 17th chapter could have started in verse 13 because there's a complete change of context. Verse 13 introduces a whole new conversation or a whole new uh, uh, narrative, if you want to say it that way. When they had come into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered very authoritatively, very powerfully and very boldly. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered in verse 17 and 18, if you, if you look at it, verse 17 and 18 is, is a good parallel to Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I pointed this out. When people, you're not just you're not just wanting someone, if you're, if you're ministering to someone, you know that saving faith is not just singularly and tactically and, and surgically believing that God raised Jesus from the dead because God raised other people from the dead. Okay? When, you, when a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, saving faith is faith like Peter had. Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of God. Well, if he's the son of God, he can't be dead. 
He had to be raised from the dead. He went, in other words, and, and, Paul, and Paul described it this way. Remember in the 15th chapter of, of 1 Corinthians, he said, the gospel that I preached, what the word that I delivered to you was that Jesus, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That, that Christ, the son of God, God, went to the cross, he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. Now, it's important that he was buried because you had to prove that he was dead. In those days when the, the entombing process or embalming process involved taking a dead body and they had strips of linen that they cut and they, and they smeared this embalming paste, this preserving paste on it, and they wrapped the, the body of the person that was dead. They, they, they wrapped the legs separately, the arms, and, and then the torso and the neck and the head. And, and it was with this uh, paste that dried within a few hours and it became a solid cocoon, almost as hard as concrete. Well, if you weren't dead before, you'd be dead shortly thereafter. Because even if they left the mouthpiece open, the, the entire body was encased in this, you couldn't take a breath. So you would, if you weren't already dead, you would die as a result of it. So Jesus was, he, he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried three days and then he, he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. That is all involved in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that there, you do know this, I know you do, that there are a lot of people, tragically, there are a lot of people today who mentally believe that Jesus was the Son of God. In other words, they, they take it for granted that the story of Jesus dying for the sins and that Jesus was raised up, mentally they have accepted that, but it's never been real in their heart. You, you acknowledge that, right? Multitude of people like this. They think they're saved and they're not. They've never been born again. To them, it's just mental ascent. It's something mentally, they just heard it when they were a child and maybe they were in a Catholic school or some other, maybe they went to church when they were a kid and it was drilled into them and they just believe it. But you, you look at their lifestyle, there's no evidence of any personal faith in Christ. They've never had what I call an encounter with Christ. You all know what that is. There came a day in your life when it suddenly became very real, not just up here, but down here, that Jesus, he is God. He is the son of God and he died for my sins. Amen. See, that, that, that was something that the spirit of God had to reveal to you. We call it revelation knowledge. We call it heart knowledge. Two things have to happen. You have to believe this in your heart, not with your mind, but in your heart. And then you have to confess with your mouth. Well, if you go over to Matthew 16, Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. He said, now, it's interesting. Jesus said, no man revealed this to you. You didn't get it from your parents. You didn't get it from your friends. In fact, Jesus is saying, you didn't even get this from me. I didn't reveal this to you. 
Now, yes, God used Jesus because he's the one we believe on. You understand that. But he's saying, I'm not the source of your revelation. He said, God revealed this to you. That's heart knowledge. If you believe in your heart and then confess with your mouth. Well, he said, Simon Barjona, you have believed in your heart. Do you see the parallel? You have believed in your heart. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Well, what is the rock? Well, what's under discussion? Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't specifically, verbally say what the rock is, but what, what would be the rock? If he doesn't tell us, it has to be in the context somewhere. Well, the whole question was, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say? Who do men say? Who do men say? Who do you say? It was all about the saying. And he said, Peter said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you believed that in your heart and this is the rock. You spoke it with your mouth. Glory to God. Can you see that? Then he said, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. So it's true that the church, yes, yes, we know Jesus is the head of the church and in one sense, he's the rock. But in this context, I'm submitting to you that, that Jesus was pointing out that it's believing in your heart because you have a revelation from heaven. In other words, it became real in here. Not just a move from up here to down here. And then you said with your mouth what, you, what, what Peter said. You confessed Christ. That, that, and it, and it can, a very convincing argument, argument can be made that the church is building that. Because nobody comes into the church any other way. That's the way everybody comes into the church. That's the way everybody gets saved. They believe in their heart. That Jesus is God, that he's the son of God, which is equality with God, means God the son, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead, glory to God. He is Lord of all, he is the savior. You might have said it one way or another, but if you believed it in your heart and said it or prayed it, most of the time we just prayed it. We, we, we weren't told to, to recite a statement we were just led in a, what we called a sinner's prayer and we just said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Wash away my sins. I receive you as my Lord, my Savior. Oh, glory to God. God's not making it difficult. Hey, Amen. It's easy. It's easy. But notice he said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, it being the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church when it's founded on the rock of believing in your heart who Jesus is and confessing him as Lord over all. That is, that is the rock the upon, our, upon our, uh, which the church, our church, the whole body of Christ is built and Satan can't do anything about it. He can't stop it. That's why when a person makes that decision, not because it's up here and, they, and they're just reciting something they read, but when, it, when, that, when that epiphany happens, that spiritual revelation comes in their heart and they realize, oh, this is real, this is real, this is true. And they receive the Lord Jesus. There's not, there's not one or all the demons in all of the, of the entire world and hell itself can stop that person from being born again. The gates of hell cannot. 
prevail. Not even, not even begin to prevail against it. Oh, glory to God. Then he said, next. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's talking about authority. That's talking about authority right there. See, authority is released by believing in your heart and saying it with your mouth. See, it's, it's what got you into the church, but it's, how, it's also how you operate in the church. It's how we exercise authority. We exercise authority with our words. Did you ever, you go through the New Testament. I challenge you, go through the New Testament and just start in Matthew and read all, well, let's look right now. We're in Matthew. Just start looking at all of the people Jesus ministered to. Let's go, let's say, let's start in uh, chapter, oh, we have chapter four, it just talks about, you know, the mass of people, but I'm talking about individual ministry. Go over to the uh, eighth chapter, Matthew eight, verse number one. And when he come down the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Behold, a leper came and worshiped him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him. Notice, saying, If you go through, you'll find out that Jesus ministered healing and ministered deliverance two ways, and one of the ways almost always included the other way. He he either touched people or he spoke to people. Most of the times, he touched and spoke to them. In other words, he and I believe every time he touched them, and it doesn't say he spoke to them, he probably did. Because here, it said he put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Why? Because Jesus knew the importance of words. That's Matthew 8, verse number 3. Verse number 5, Jesus entered Capernaum. A centurion came to him. You know the story. Verse number 13, Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. What did the centurion, centurion say to him? He said, Just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Jesus didn't lay hands on him at all. Jesus just spoke. As you have believed, go your way, be it done unto you. That night, it says when when Jesus had come into Peter's house, verse 14, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. Well, it doesn't say that he he said anything, but uh, he easily could have. Isn't that right? Verse number 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits with a hocus-pocus. No, he cast out the spirits with a word. With a word. Not some kind of a magic chant, but with a word. In other words, with the words of his mouth. He cast out the spirits with a word. In other words, he said, evil spirits, get out, leave, go. He cast them out, praise the Lord. And you just go on over, you know, wind and waves in verse uh, 23 of the eighth chapter. And Jesus stood up and he said, peace, glory to God. He, he, in verse 26, he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea and there was a great calm. Hallelujah. The, the two demon-possessed men begins in verse 28. So the demons, verse 31, begged him saying, if you cast this out, permit us to go away into the, into the herd of swine. Jesus said to them, go. And they went, praise the Lord. Amen. So, you know, you just go uh, 
uh, right on down. He told the man in the ninth chapter, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. What did he do? He just said it. Jesus, was, Jesus operated on the principle of saying it because he understood the power. The entire, the entire church is built on the, on the dynamic of saying what you believe in your heart. First of all, where Christ is concerned, but then anything that the word of God covers, you believe it in your heart and you declare it. Go with me over to Job. Go over to Job and look at the 22nd chapter of Job. Let's look at verse 26. Job twenty-two twenty-six. For then you will have your delight in the Almighty... And lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him and he will hear you. And you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your ways. This is an Old Testament principle just as much as it is a New Testament principle. He said, you will declare a thing and it will be established unto you. Oh, glory to God. No wonder Jesus said. He said, if you have faith, he said, this is what you'll do. You'll speak to this mountain and say, be removed and be cast into the sea and it will obey you. If you believe in your heart, what you say, you can have what you say. I cannot, and I know I've gone over this, but it's so important. I'm doing it for a reason. It's so important that we understand that it's not thinking victory thoughts. It's speaking victory words. But it can't be from a mental persuasion. It has to be in your heart. It has to be in here. It has to be truth that has erupted on the inside of you. That you know, that you know, that you know. And you can have all kinds of doubts in your mind, but in your heart, you know this is true. And when you know the truth, glory to God, you're almost there. For with the heart, man believes unto salvation. He's right with the heart, man believes right up to salvation. I mean, he's right on the threshold of salvation. And then with, with the mouth, confession is made confirming it. The words of your mouth is what causes you to step over into the victory. Glory to God. Get in the habit. Anytime the enemy attacks you, speak the word to him. Declare what the Bible. You know, every time, the, every time Satan came to Jesus to tempt him, Jesus said, the devil would quote a scripture. And Jesus, and he would say, it is written. And Jesus said, well, it is also written. He answered him with the word of God. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Feed on the word. Get the truths, those, those uh, 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 different areas that I talked about where, where your, faith, your confession needs to be established. Get those truths on the inside of you. You know, when, when something tries to attack my body, I'll say, no, you don't. In the name of Jesus, no, you don't. I might not always quote all the scriptures. Most of the time I do. Even when I don't, I'm saying it because usually that morning I fed on those scriptures. 
I've read where, where, where Peter said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I, I, most of the time I've read that morning, that those scriptures that morning, that, uh, that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Glory to God. And that by his stripes, I am here. I was healed. If I was healed, I am healed. So when I, when the enemy hits me with something, I say, no, you don't. I'm not taking that. Got up in the middle of the night, Friday night, I had an extra slice of pizza I shouldn't have had. Had an upset, had a diarrhea. I get up, you know, and I said, I'm not having this. No, you don't. I'm not having this. No, you don't. By his stripes, I am healed. Glory to God. Went back to bed, slept the rest of the night and morning, got up about five or six, about six o'clock, I guess. About seven or eight o'clock, had breakfast, never had any more problem. But you see, you gotta, you gotta use your words. You gotta say something. You have to say something. Oh, glory to God. There is power in your faith-filled words. It is the principle of the kingdom. It is the, it is the, it is the fundamental uh, uh, factor that drives everything that operates in the realm of the spirit. You'll never have what you won't say. You'll never possess. My brother Hagen had that teaching years ago. He just had one cassette, one little tape. It was started as a reel to reel, and it was just one message. It was called "Confession Brings Possession," and and this the the whole Word of Faith movement caught hold of that confession. He said, "You will never possess what you do not boldly confess." But if you'll boldly confess it, you'll have it. Glory to God. Jesus said you will have not what you think, not what you hope, not what you, what you uh, believe. You'll have what you say. Of course, you have to believe. You not only have to believe the Bible, you have to believe in your own words. And see, that, that throws a curveball at people. I thought we had to believe God. Now you're getting into humanism. No, no, no. It's your, it's your word based on the word of God. When I resist the devil, I say, no, I'm not taking that in the name of Jesus. That's, I'm saying, that's my word. But I'm saying it because I have the authority of God's word behind me. And when I say I'm not having that, I'm doing what, what, what Peter said. I'm resisting him. You remember me talking about my, about my uh, grandsons and how they have, you know, their martial arts guys, you know, now, and, and daughter-in-law, I mean, uh, granddaughter, excuse me, grandsons and granddaughter, they're all black belts. They know how to resist. You try to put your hand on, I don't care how big you are. You try to put your hands on them and they will, they will resist you. And uh, you have to learn to do that to the devil. You have to learn to resist him. Glory to God. You resist him with faith in your heart and believing that you, what you say comes to pass. Jesus said, you will have whatsoever you say. Are you having what you say? I'm asking you a question. Are you having what you say? Eh, maybe 30% of the time. You need, to, you need to get serious about this. You need to get serious about it. Man, I've been saying some things. You need to get into the word of God and find out what your problem is because the problem is not, in the, it's not the Bible. It's your understanding of the Bible. It's either not real or you're not saying it. It's either not real in you or you're not saying it. Well, praise the Lord. I love you. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Thank God for faith in God. Thank the Lord for the word of faith. It is near you. It is so near you. It's not far off. It's not difficult. 
It's not hard to lay hold of. Enemy been, has he been putting something on you? Have you been struggling something against something for many years? Rise up. Make a declare a declaration this day. I'm done with this. Starting this day, this 30th day of August 2020, I'm putting an end to this. I'm going to get myself into the word of God. I'm going to feed on it until it's so big in me that it's bigger than me. Till it absolutely enlightens my entire heart and understanding. And then I'm going to say it and I'm going to say it boldly and I'm going to believe what I say comes to pass and I'm never going to change. I'm never going to back down. I'll get up the next day and I'll say it again. I'll say it again and I'll say it again. I'll say it fervently in my heart because I believe it. With my mouth, I'll declare what I believe in my heart. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. There's nothing you've been dealing with for I don't care how many years that thing has persisted, it will bow its knee. It will bow its knee. That physical condition, that mental condition, that that financial condition, it will bow its knee if you'll put it, if you'll put the what the word of God says about it in your heart and feed on it until it's more real to you than your very own name. Glory to God. You begin to speak the word of God and it'll come to pass. Jesus said you'll have what you say. Thank God. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.